the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into our three, a column in the Washington Post today by David Byler reports that while Democrats and Republicans disdain each other's politics about evenly, quote, for seven years, a stable eight and ten Democrats have said they view their own party very favorably. During the same time, the GOP has been on a roller coaster of happiness and discontent, close quote. In other words, the favorability Republicans hold of their own party. He goes on to point out, quote, the GOP's run of restlessness and Democrats era of calm began more than 10 years ago. At the time, Barack Obama was president. Democrats had passed the Affordable Care Act, expanded regulation of the financial industry and spoke often of their supposedly permanent electoral majority. Close quote. Then he writes. Quote, the GOP's anti-establishment populist wing blamed its own leaders for the disappointments of the Obama era. The critique from this part of the party was simple. The Republican ruling class compromised too much, lost elections too often, and was insufficiently conservative. So grassroots Republicans started voting against their own leaders, and the self-distrust and resentment became features not bugs in GOP politics, close quote. He goes on, quote, the GOP has committed itself to broad new immigration restrictions, doubled down on such cultural issues as local school curriculums and parents' rights, and has with varying success advanced an America first trade and foreign policy agenda, close quote. There's a lot to unfold here, and we can start with a couple of things. Let's take a little caution in taking too seriously the advice of serious issues like the most serious, like how we are going to govern ourselves from 20-somethings. The second thing to keep in mind is obsta principis. Beware of first thoughts from someone who does not have your party's interests in mind while giving your party advice. I always love it when Democrats tell Republicans what they need to do in order to be more popular, just as I would want to count the spoons after dinner if my dinner guest were to lecture me on his own virtues and morality. That said, third thing, don't dismiss the common sense of things. Yeah, when Democrats were racking up victory after victory and doubling down on the New Deal or what Barry Goldwater called the Democrats' blueprint for socialism, especially under Obama, yeah, we need some introspection. You can't take a knife to a gunfight and you can't beat strong tonics with weak tea. And we saw the strong tonic of Barack Obama. And what did we do to vitiate it and overcome it? We threw John McCain and Mitt Romney at it. The idea that we would have second thoughts about these kinds of strategies and these kinds of political leaders. The idea that this is new is false. 
The idea that our party doubled down on new immigration restrictions on such cultural issues as local school curriculums and parents' rights and has, with varying success, advanced an America first and uh, trade and foreign policy agenda, in the words of this author, is also a bit of a parallax view. We came to those issues because the left foisted them on us. When the Democratic Party went from a big spending but also a pro-life, pro-patriotic, not-blame-America-first party as it became in the 1980s and starting moving more and more leftward from, say, a self-proclaimed pro-life born-again like Jimmy Carter or a war hero pro-life JFK or LBJ McGovernite or a Clinton party engaged in wanting to make abortion rare and reform welfare to a party sympathetic and cozy to former weathermen and radically embracing party of Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders, something stronger was needed to oppose the radical policies Bill Clinton and even George McGovern or Jimmy Carter would have never dreamt of. The Democratic Party used to boast, for example, let's talk curriculum, the Democratic Party used to boast history books, American history books, written by good Democrats like Arthur Schlesinger and Daniel Borston and Henry Commager and David McCullough and Samuel Elliott Morrison. It then went from them to Howard Zinn, BLM, and 1619. So, yeah, we wanted to, needed to get involved in school curricula. Then they started sexualizing our children and re-racializing them and hiding all that from parents. So, yeah, we wanted to get involved. And parents' rights and curricula were the least of it. When the Democratic Party opened the floodgates of immigration to radically change the country and import new dependent Democratic Party voters and flood a system already overwhelmed, yeah, we took up and took on illegal immigration. And let us recall, too, immigration restrictions used to be the purview of the Democratic Party until they realized it could be the pipeline for more government dependence and thus Democratic Party dependence. As far as a new series of trade and foreign policy uh, and foreign policy agendas based on America first principles, that's actually not so new. As Charles Kessler reminds us, tariffs played a central role in American politics for most of American history because they played a central role in funding the government. Before the income tax, tariffs were usually the federal government's chief source of revenue. One of Abraham Lincoln's administration's first act acts was to pass a tariff bill. And afterward, until Hoover's administration, at least, the Republicans remained the party of tariffs. McKinley and Coolidge, pretty good standard bearers for our party, were presidents of tariffs. The idea that our populist turn is new or that we are an anti-establishment party and that's new isn't true at all. We might even argue the quote-unquote moderate Republicans were the new thing injected into our party. It all begs the question, of course, what is a Republican? What does or should the Republican Party stand for? The idea that Trump changed it is convenient for liberal analysts. For us... He retooled it and reminded it of itself. You hear a lot, after all, about Trump having changed the party of Reagan and variants on that theme or statement. Defiant and norm-busting are not unusual adjectives. 
So what is a Republican? Well, I would suggest one start with the very first Republican Party platform from 1856, the platform that convinced Abraham Lincoln later, our first Republican president, to become a Republican. People all across our party still revere Lincoln, don't they? I should start by pointing out that social issues, family values, as they used to be called, were always part and parcel of the Republican Party platform beginning in 1856. Consider the first Republican platform, we mentioned this yesterday, stated, quote, resolved that the Constitution confers upon Congress sovereign powers over the territories of the United States for their government, and that in the exercise of this power, it is both the right and the imperative duty of Congress to prohibit in the territories those twin relics of barbarism, polygamy and slavery, close quote. So there it is, right there, right after the platform revivified and restated the principles and language from the Declaration of Independence. The party resolved to not only oppose slavery, but also polygamy, calling them twin relics of barbarism. This made all the sense in the world, of course, and as you know, Utah could not even be admitted to the Union until it banned polygamy. As for slavery... There was, aside from polygamy, perhaps, but with a great deal more force and evil, no greater threat to the values of family. Human beings downgraded into property, mothers ripped from children, husbands from wives, if they could marry, and entire parades of horribles to the black family we could spend the whole day describing. Since, as I assume, we still like and revere Abraham Lincoln, our first Republican president, let me quote him a bit. Two years after the new Republican Party was formed and all eyes were on Abraham Lincoln in Illinois, he gave a speech saying this, quote, In the founders' enlightened belief, nothing stamped with the divine image and likeness was sent into the world to be trodden on and degraded and imbruted by its fellows. They grasped our founders, not only the whole race of man then living, but they reached forward and seized upon its farthest posterity. They erected a beacon to guide their children and their children's children and the countless myriads who should inhabit the earth in other ages. Wise statesmen as they were, they knew the tendency of prosperity to breed tyrants. And so they established these great self-evident truths that when in the distant future some man, some faction, some interest should set up the doctrine that none but rich men or none but white men were entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness— their posterity might look up again to the Declaration of Independence and take courage to renew the battle which their fathers began, so that truth and justice and mercy and all the humane and Christian virtues might not be extinguished from the land, so that no man would hereafter dare to limit and circumscribe the great principles on which the Temple of Liberty was being built. Close quote. Sounds like a real extremist, doesn't he? Maybe that's worth quoting to those who say today's Republican Party brings too much culture or social issues or religious expression with it. But it is fair to say something did change in the Republican Party, and it was an abandonment of these sentiments and the idea of natural rights and our declaration, especially with the presidency of Teddy Roosevelt. He, of course, became a leader of the progressive movement, which is why he, too, ultimately left the party of Abraham Lincoln. Wait, some will say. He didn't become a progressive. He ran on something called the Bull Moose Party. Yes, well, sort of. He ran against a Republican named William Taft. And the Bull Moose Party was not the party's official name. It was, an, it was a nickname. Want to know its formal name? 
Try this. Its official name was the Progressive Party of the United States. Then, beginning with Calvin Coolidge, the party regained much of its original positioning until Dwight Eisenhower. Recall for a moment why Dwight Eisenhower picked Richard Nixon as his running mate. Two main reasons. To bolster Eisenhower's conservative credentials and because Richard Nixon, no irony here, this was our party after all, pulled really well with African-Americans or black voters, as Republicans always should have and did until 1964. But that was a pivotal year for the party, as it was Barry Goldwater's candidacy that proved such a revolution. And by revolution, I mean turning back to origins, which is what a revolution properly understood actually means. It is a turnaround, quite literally a back to basics. The party had become soft in the 1940s and 1950s, the Republican Party did, trying to accommodate Franklin Roosevelt's new, new deal without fully abandoning it. Think of people like Earl Warren. Republican governor of California, former vice presidential nominee. He was later appointed to be chief justice of the Supreme Court. And nearly everything we think about with regard to constitutional perversions in our culture and our courts came from or began in what was and is still known as the Warren Court, especially on social issues. This would work its way from issues having to do with prayer in school to race issues to ultimately the precursor to abortion with Warren himself in the majority of those liberal departing decisions. Indeed, in his landmark book, Conscience of a Conservative, which was the prelude to his run for the presidency, Barry Goldwater attacked the Warren court and Warren himself, writing, quote, In effect, the court says what matters is not the ideas of the men who wrote the Constitution, but the court's ideas. It was only by engrafting its own views onto the established law of the land that the court was able to reach the decisions it has been reaching. Thus, the birth of the living constitution or judicial activism. Goldwater was forced square against it. Republicans like Earl Warren originated it. You tell me who the change agent in the party was. And the fight against conservatives trying to wrest control of the party back to its original roots, it's not a happy or kind one. Nelson Rockefeller, who challenged Goldwater in 1964, ran on a campaign painting Goldwater as an irresponsible reactionary. Indeed, he sent a mailer to California voters asking, quote, who do you want in the room with the H-bomb button? Close quote. Rockefeller routinely and at his speech at the convention of 1964 called Goldwater and his followers extremists. This is what prompted Goldwater's line extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice wasn't directed at Vietnam or the USSR or even the Democrats. It was directed at Rockefeller and his supporters. No surprise, really, that Mitt Romney used to brag that his father, George Romney, walked out of the GOP convention when Goldwater said those words. Now, there's a lot more to say here, but let me put it this way. Ronald Reagan, I think we can all agree, almost as much as Abraham Lincoln, came to the national political scene as a Republican in his most decisive way, in a major nationally televised speech on behalf of Barry Goldwater in 1964. He concluded his speech by denouncing Nikita Khrushchev and those who would seek accommodation with him. He said this, quote, You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? 
or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the prophet, under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools, and our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where, then, is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer, after all. Reagan concluded, You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, There is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is the meaning in the phrase of Barry Goldwater's Peace Through Strength. Winston Churchill said that the destiny of man is not measured by material computation. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we are spirits, not animals. And he said, quote, there is something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty, close quote. So much more to say about this. For example, what was said about Goldwater and Reagan was the exact same stuff said about Trump, both from within and without the GOP. Reagan was the outsider who challenged a sitting U.S. Republican president, after all, and then four years later, the rest of the GOP establishment just as Goldwater tried in 1960 and did in 1964. Those who say Trump and his supporters have changed the party or highlighted internal dissatisfaction within it have a very different view of the Republican Party and its history, its very own Mount Rushmore and standard bearers, than a much more honest history, which is also funny enough or tellingly enough, a much more victorious and winning history of a party and its successes as well. No wonder the left, the liberals, and the Democrats in the Washington Post want to tell us we're on the wrong track in challenging our own house. They've got history wrong. We've got it right, and I think we have a rendezvous with it. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Seth Liebson show. Yeah, be wary of revisionism. Be wary of historical revisionism and political revisionism, even when it comes from such august or formerly august places as the Washington Post. Even Ronald Reagan wasn't establishment in 1980. He had to fight the establishment. He had to fight for the nomination against Bob Dole and George Bush and Howard Baker and others. He even had to fight certain conservatives. George Will was not an original Reagan supporter in 80. Neither was William Buckley. Believe it or not, Reagan had to fight all of them. So beware the revisionism. Stay close to this show. Read good historical books to keep up on it. Read history. Don't read the Washington Post 20-somethings who think they have all the answers for what ails them. You know what ails them? What ails them is this Republican Party winning elections. Before we uh, go on to the rest of our show, let me put in a word for our sponsor, why refi if you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors they're offering a fixed interest rate up to 10.25 percent return for investors all in a secure collateralized portfolio why refi is a due diligence approved firm made up of investors who do really well by doing good for others and you can be a part of that too check them out at investyrefi.com the word invest the letter y refy.com or give them a call at 855 855- Three one six three zero eight seven eight five five three one six three zero eight seven. Going to tell you about an interesting project coming up, not totally unlike Ronald Reagan's speech for Barry Goldwater in nineteen sixty four. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to welcome a new guest, uh, Tim Mooney. He is a political advisor to uh, a lot of campaigns in the past, a lot of candidates, and he is a political advisor to a political action committee here called Saving Arizona, savingarizona.us. He is part of the cavalry that is going to help ensure that we elect Blake Masters, but also inform the voting public in Arizona on the real record of uh, Mark Kelly, the record that he has been hiding, not only uh, uh, from his past, but in his general candidacy. You don't see a lot of Mark Kelly around. It's part of his general uh, uh, way of doing things. Tim Mooney is part of a group that's exposing him, and they have a massive television uh, ad buy that we're going to talk to you about. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Seth. Great to be with you. First time uh, guest on the show. I always do this with first time guests. Tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, any autobiography you want, and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Grew up in a small town called Scottsdale back when it was a small town. (laughs) Okay. And uh, and now live in Cave Creek, which is a small drinking town with a Kelway problem. Yeah, that's a very funny uh, way to put it. Yeah. Exactly. I've been a long time uh, consultant for. conservative causes and organizations throughout uh, America has changed state constitutions 18 times, 11 states, to make them more conservative. Good. And uh, right now, we are, our focus is on Mark Kelly. Good. Uh, Mark Kelly seems like a nice guy. I'm sure that he is. I'm sure that his dog likes him. Uh, but he votes like a liberal in Washington, D.C. He's uh, voting with Joe Biden 94% of the time. Uh, that's hardly a, uh, a stand-up person for Arizona. More importantly, he votes with Senator uh, Chuck Schumer, 96% of the time. I don't think New York needs three U.S. senators. Arizona and Arizona values needs at least one. Nice, Nicely put, Tim. That's, that's a really good way to put it. We'll get into some of the merits of what you're saying, but tell the audience uh, some of what you guys are doing debuting uh, this Saturday, October 1st. Look, I, we think the voting record of a U.S. senator takes more than 30 seconds. Yep. We think it takes 30 minutes. Good. And so we are systematically going through the records of Mark Kelly and how he's voted uh, to increase government, uh, lessen your freedoms, uh, increase your taxes uh, while he's been in Washington, D.C. We're doing a 30-minute infomercial about Mark Kelly's voting record and what it means to you, your family, and your pocketbook. And the air times for these are going to be this Saturday, October 1st, from 1130 to 12 on TW61, the following Saturday, October 8th, and then also Sunday, October 2nd, and Sunday, October 9th, from 6 to 6.30 p.m. I think this is fantastic, and these will be 30-minute infomercials on the real Mark Kelly record. People who might be driving or what have you and might not have been able to write down or memorize those times and dates, it's October 1st, October 2nd, October 8th, and October 9th, but you can go to savingarizona.us to get all the times in your era in your area, savingarizona.us, because you'll be doing it not only in the Phoenix markets, as I understand it, but also the Tucson markets. Uh, this is great. What is, um, Tim, what is the first thing you would like voters to know, aside from the voting record percentages that Mark Kelly has stood for and has uh, voted on? Well, I think the biggest one that is not getting as much attention as it needs to is that Mark Kelly wants to more than double the size of the IRS and to weaponize the IRS against taxpayers. And think of it this way. 
87,000 new hires, one just for you, I'm sure, mm-hmm. of IRS agents. Now, they've done this because they wanted to show that the bill balanced. And so every one of those IRS agents is going to be responsible to going out and finding money. Mm-hmm. Forget whether it's fairness or whatever else. They've mm-hmm. got they've got a, a, a set amount they've got to go find. Now, at the same time, Mark Kelly voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents. Mm-hmm. And we already have only 19,000 uh, Border Patrol agents. Again, he wants to have 186,000 uh, IRS agents. Um, another way to look at this, we have less than 50,000 in the Coast Guard patrolling our coasts, 40, uh, uh, 47,000, uh, 95,000 miles of shoreline, only 41,700 active Coast Guard. So we're going to have four times as many IRS agents as Coast Guard. Hold uh, that thought right there, Tim. That's a good number to go to the break on. I want people to remember that. Let me. This was a short segment. We'll have a longer one coming up on the other side of this commercial break. Again, folks, uh, Tim Mooney, uh, for, uh, a political advisor to Saving Arizona, SavingArizona.us. They're doing a big bunch of infomercials on Mark Kelly's record starting October 1st this Saturday on the CW Saving arizona.us to get more local times and listings we'll be right back with more from tim mooney on mark kelly's real record don't go away we'll be right back welcome back to the seth leibson show tim mooney is our guest he is a political advisor to the saving arizona political action committee saving arizona.us they're doing a big tv ad buy not unlike what Ronald Reagan uh, did for Barry Goldwater in 1964 with his time for choosing, except this will be, rather than on behalf of just uh, Blake Masters, this will be the exposing of Mark Kelly's full voting record that he has been hiding from and not wanting you to know about because he tries to hold himself out as an independent. He tries to hold himself out as a moderate. He has allies in the media and even allies uh, within uh, some of the moderate segments of the Democratic Party here who are trying to promote that Mark Kelly is a moderate. He's not. Tim Mooney has been spelling that out for us. And there will be a 30-minute infomercial that will air October 1st, October 2nd, October 9th. It's a big ad buy, and I'm just delighted that uh, you guys are doing it, Tim. We were talking about Mark Kelly's voting uh, to uh, increase the IRS by 87,000 agents. And uh, you made a good point. When you hire an IRS agent, it's not uh, that you're hiring people to look on how to to look for how to refund American taxpayers. It's how to extract more money from American taxpayers. All at the same time, we have real problems that taxpayers wish their money went to, like solidifying the border, right? And Mark Kelly's record on that is pretty awful, too, isn't it? It is. Uh, he's voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents. The last thing we need is less. We've got over 2 million people coming across our border. Uh, think of it this way. I mean, that is three times the size of Tucson coming across the border just this year. Um and, and, and rather than doing anything about it, Mark Kelly is going to cut agents there. We think there needs to be a doubling of agents there and a cutting of the IRS agents. Uh, but there's other areas as well. Uh, let's get into some social areas. Yeah, let's do. Good. Mark, Mark Kelly voted uh, against the pro- prohibition of federal funds being used in kindergarten and grade school to teach critical race theory. Uh, I mean, that's just crazy. 
Uh, first off, why is the federal government even being involved with critical race theory and pushing it into our schools? But that's Mark Kelly. Yep. What about abortion? There are only seven countries in the world that allow abortion up to the day of birth, but Mark Kelly's in favor of that. I want people to understand this one really carefully. When Mark Kelly and others uh, in his party talk about they being the moderates when it comes to abortion and Republicans uh, or pro-lifers being the radicals or extremists, it's important you understand the Mark Kelly view on abortion. Tim, you said it well. I'll, I'll restate it. He believes in abortion up to the exact moment of birth. That is not moderate. That is not in any sense the opposite of extreme. That is the definition of extreme. In fact, it's gruesome. Well, and he also wants that this not only just to be the law, but to be the law in every state. Yeah, right. You know, Arizona is different from New York. Alabama is different from Washington state. Uh, what the courts did, and this is where I, I get so ang- uh, upset, the courts did not outlaw abortion. The courts said, look, at the federal level, at the federal courts, this is not up to us. It's up to states. States are different. Mississippi is different from Minnesota. But Mark Kelly wants there to be one standard in every state across the country, and that is abortion up until the time of birth. And I think it's also important to add that when, you know, candidates support the kind of thing that was at issue at the Supreme Court in the in the Dobbs decision, a 15 week ban, that gets you already 15 weeks is into the second trimester. Most abortions take place long before that. So the idea that uh, stopping abortions after 15 weeks, if a state decides to do that, like Mississippi did, being extreme is the exact opposite of extreme. In fact, that might even be considered the moderate place to be on abortion, frankly. Well, let's use an example by this. The European Union countries, 23 of them, all have abortion limits 15 weeks or less. Right. 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 So this is not the extreme. That is that is the moderate position, but that is not Mark Kelly's position. That's correct. Mark Kelly thinks every state in the union needs to abide by what he says, which is abortion right up to the time of birth. This connection of the adding IRS agents, supporting the addition of 87,000 new IRS agents, new IRS agents, not making the IRS agency 87,000 employees, adding 87,000 employees to the IRS. Um, you know, you tie that to a few other things. It becomes quite, quite, quite clear that Mark Kelly is into income redistribution on steroids, because he also at the same time supported Joe Biden's executive order to forgive student loans, regardless of income, without any work requirement, when the vast majority of Americans haven't even gone to college. He is asking he is asking uh, people, working class, blue collar, middle class folks to bail out Ivy League graduates who can't find work. Well, that's exactly right. And here's my question. What if you were uh, worked part-time during high school to save your money to go to college, and you took out loans to go to college, and you paid back those loans, do you get $10,000 or $20,000? Nope. You do not. So what we're doing is we're punishing the people who worked by the way that it was supposed to work. We're we're validating the people who took out excessive loans to go get uh, degrees that did not produce the kind of income that would 
make those valuable degrees worth anything. Uh, this is just the wrong thing. Yet, what if you got, got out of high school and you bought a truck and you, you apprenticed as a plumber and that was your investment in your future? Do you get a loan back? Nope. Now, also, this is patently unconstitutional. Where does the Biden administration get the authority to do this? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you where they're claiming it. After 9-11, yep. if you were a, um, a military officer in uh, after 9-11, you signed up and you took out loans prior to that, they gave back some of those loans. It was on the authority of the 9-11 accident. And... It expanded it out to other emergency measures and times. So the Biden administration is saying, well, that's our authorities after 9-11, the forgiveness for troops and their loans and other emergencies, and we'll claim the COVID as an emergency, and therefore we'll have the ability to give and, re- and forgive student loans. Now, here's my question. Joe Biden just said on national TV three or four days ago that the COVID uh, pandemic is over. So if there's no reason for emergency measures under the COVID uh, uh, pandemic, how then does he claim to be, have the authority to forgive student loans? Same way that Mark Kelly claims to have the authority to call himself a moderate, which is why I am glad you are exposing his true record. These folks are so many Humpty Dumpties in Alice's, uh, Alice in Wonderland's looking glass that um, that they just make words uh, mean what they want them to mean. And it's an awful way to do Republican forms of government. It's an awful way to do democracy. It's an awful abuse of the English language. It's an awful abuse of our politics, which is, Tim, why I'm so glad you guys are doing this. Again, a series of ads Saving Arizona PAC is putting out, exposing the Mark Kelly record, folks. They start debuting this Saturday. You can learn more about them by going to SavingArizona.us, SavingArizona.us. Tim Mooney, Thank you for your efforts. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you so much. Look forward to having you back. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. Come back with one more concluding thought. Portions of this show are brought to you by the good people at Balance of Nature, good people who make a great product. I take it every single day. It is pure, potent plant power, 100% natural, no added anything No added sugars, no added sweeteners, no added preservatives. It is third-party tested for all kinds of impurities, any kind of impurity. been taking it for several years now, and it's kept me well. My energy high, my immunity boosted, as well as my health. You can take it to balanceofnature.com, discount code BALANCE. Use discount code BALANCE. So glad uh, that uh, Tim Mooney and Saving Arizona are doing these ad buys on television. Uh, this, uh, this election is got all God's children working for them. We all have our work to do. All God's children have their work to do. You can take nothing for granted, including the U.S. Senate race. U.S. Senate race, so important. Even, even if you are listening and aren't a voter in Arizona, uh, take a look at the Masters campaign and think about helping it. You can go to blakemasters.com to do that directly. Because, you know, as I often remind, people don't think about it often this way. The United States senators, like United States representatives, are partly federal and partly national. Yes, they represent a state. Yes, they are elected by a state. But they pass laws and vote on laws and debate laws that affect every American from New York to California. And quite honestly, 
affect people who live in other countries, too, when you think about our national security. Mark Kelly may be a very nice guy. He may very well be. I can tell you, if we're voting on nice, Blake Masters is a very nice guy, too. So the question is, do you want more of Biden's America or do you want something different? Do you want the guy that supports Biden between 94 and 96 percent of the time? Or do you want someone who's going to challenge all the craziness we've had to live with low these nearly past two years? Those are the choices. Those are the stakes. Nice has nothing to do with it. But if nice is on the ballot, Mark Kelly doesn't have anything on Blake. Anyway, I am Seth Leaps, and God bless you all. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.